how, how are you guys? Are y'all good? Good. Okay, good. I am, I'm good. In the grand scheme of eternity, I, I'm good. I'm very sad. I'm mourning my, my, my Tennessee Titans. Yes, that is the right response. I am so sad. I watched it with, with my brother Lee and my brother Charlie yesterday, and I, I have, oh, so sad. But, like, uh, the Packers lost, too, so, you know, what are you going to do? I'm just, there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason to football. It just is, it feels so random. But I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that we're in Ruth, and I'm excited to dive into the Word with you guys this morning. Um, like Mark said, we have been combing through uh, the book of Ruth, and last week, uh, Dr. Michael Lyons walked us through the, the first section of chapter 2, and we got to explore the beautiful system that the Lord orchestrated to feed and care for those in need in that culture. According to Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, and Deuteronomy 24, when the people of Israel were harvesting the fields or vineyards, they would leave the corners untouched so that the poor, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow could come and have something to eat. Dr. Lyons concluded his sermon so beautifully by pointing out the clear presence and theme of hope throughout this narrative. And this morning, we're picking back up with the same narrative of hope as Ruth makes her way back to Naomi as she's gathered food. And as we walk through this passage, I I want us to focus on a question, and I'll have it up on the screens behind me, but the question that we're going to ask is, where do we find our hope, and why should we find it there? And I know that first part of the question is like, where do we find our hope? There's immediately a very churchy answer that everybody's like, well, I know that answer. But this morning, I I don't want us to just ask the where, but I want us to ask the why. And where do we find our hope? And when we find that hope, why, what keeps us from finding hope somewhere else? What makes that source of hope so important? And if you feel tension, I just talked about the importance of asking questions. If you feel tension around the question of asking why, because sometimes the why, you know, we feel like we're not supposed to ask it, that's okay. It's okay to feel tension. But it's exactly the questions that we should be asking. That's the, this is the place that questions like that should be asked. And the Lord is not afraid of your questions. He's not. And so I'm, I'm, we're going to dive into those, the questions of why, why should we find our hope where we find our hope. Um, so... If you all have your Bibles, if you could open up to Ruth chapter 2, we're going to go through verse 17 through 23. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen behind me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word like at all, like if you don't have a copy, go back to the connect point after the service, and we should have uh, some copies of Scripture back there. If we're out and we don't, I've got a bunch lying around, and come find me. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, So... Read chapter 2, 17 through 23. I'm going to read for us, and y'all can follow along. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had, what she had gleaned and also brought out gave, uh, and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth and the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the sunshine and for the nice, cool weather, Lord, for another day to have breath in our lungs and to serve you, God. We are so grateful. I pray for this time in your word. Give us open minds and open hearts to receive and learn and experience exactly what you want us to this morning. We love you so much, and it's because you love us first. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Okay, a lot of this message, we're going to be talking about some uh, cultural things in the day, and so we're going to be doing a lot of kind of like a, a historical run-through, so I just want to get our minds right, get prepared for that, and let's dive in. Verses 17 and 18. So she, meaning Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had, what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Ruth gathered the barley, beat out all the waste and the, and the non-edible stuff, and had about an ephah or ephah of barley. And full disclosure, I have no idea how much an ephah or an ephah of barley is. I looked so much and I got so many different answers and I'm going to read you a ton of the answers that I found because it is so funny. Here are the examples. An ephah of barley is either three days of food or five days of food or two weeks of food or two and a half weeks of food or 29 pounds of food or 30 pounds of food or 35 or 40 or 50 or 22 liters or 35 liters, two-thirds a bushel, one-third a bushel. No one can decide how much an ephah is. I, I, and I, I can't decide either. I've kind of, I'm comfortable saying somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. That's kind of the, the, the large range that I kept seeing people in. But I take it very much at a grain of salt. Regardless, the point that uh, Ruth came—the point is that Ruth came home with plenty of food. That's what we're supposed to get out of it. Because usually, a gleaner—if you're gleaning in the corners of the fields—you would come back with maybe a day's worth of food, just enough for the next 24 hours. But whatever an ephah is, it was more than enough for an extended period of time. And not only did Ruth have an ephah barley. But in verse 18, it says that Ruth pulled out the rest of the roasted grain from verse 14 that she had been eating with Boaz. She got so much food, and Naomi is clearly surprised and has a ton of questions. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. So Naomi's sitting there. She's like, where did you pick this grain? How did you manage to get so much? Clearly someone took care of you, not just because you brought back a ton of food, but also you literally pulling out food that's already been roasted and cooked for you. And everybody knows you're a Moabite. So whoever took care of you is clearly a good and righteous man. Who is this guy? Who's taking care of you? Naomi is rightfully shocked. She has been so joyless for so long 
And to have a blessing like this seemingly fall in her lap is so unbelievable to her. I was talking about this the other day. As I was, as I was running through this, this passage, a, a story came in my brain. I said, I'm, I'm going to tell it because I think it's so fun. Um, I've talked about my brother Aaron before. He's 16 years old. He's on the autism spectrum. He is a doll. And uh, he, uh, I can't remember how long ago, how many years ago it was, but one day he comes home and he's wearing this watch. And he, he's got this grin that he gets, like you just know that he's been up to something and he knows he's been up to something. He kind of pokes his head and he's like, hey, and we're like, what are you doing? And he comes in wearing this watch. And my mother sees him and she's like, okay, I know that's not your watch. I, I saw you, I, like I saw you leave this morning. It's not your watch. How did you get this watch? Where did you get it from? Who gave it to you? All this, like she's just these questions of like, dude, what are you doing? That's like a really nice watch. Where did you get it? And long story short, Aaron is, is, is very popular and, and universally loved at his school. His, his personality is very contagious. He's just very easy to love. And he essentially walked up to one of his friends and just said, hey, can I have your watch? And he was like, yeah, yeah, totally. And he, Aaron is full, you know when someone like is cool, but they like know that they're cool? Aaron is loved and he knows he's loved and he is 16 years old and takes advantage of that. So he'll be like, hey, can I have your watch? And they're like, oh, yeah, man, whatever you want. Take my jacket, too. Like, it's like, it, it's, and so he was, Aaron was very upset whenever mom said, you have, you have to give this back. It's not yours. You can't keep it. He was so upset. And like my mom, because she just is like, what are you, what are you do? How, this doesn't make sense. Naomi is absolutely flabbergasted at what Ruth brought home because it's so unexpected. It's not something that she figured what, what Ruth would bring home. And as Ruth responds, we get this fantastically built verse at the end of this, this, this little section. I, I don't know if it's meant to come across this way in the original text. I'll have to do more research on it. But in English, it, come across, it comes across as a very much like a drum roll kind of moment. It's, kind of, it's like the man's name, you know, with whom I work today. And it's like you're opening the envelope. Who won the award is Boaz. Now, I, I don't know, like, yeah, like I said, I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be, but in the English, it very much comes across that way. And if you don't know the context of the moment, this doesn't really mean anything to you. It doesn't mean very much, because in the, as a 21st century reader, we know Boaz. We've read about him already. He's super nice. Apparently, he's, he's a relative of Naomi's, apparently a close relative. Yeah, he seems great. But for Naomi to hear this, she is over the moon with joy, hearing Boaz Boaz's name has life-altering significance for her and her family. Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. In this verse, we get to see this Hebrew word we've been talking about for the past few weeks that Mark introduced to us, this Hebrew word chesed. It's a complicated Hebrew word whose meaning can best be described as a combination of love and loyalty and is often translated as loving kindness or covenant faithfulness. And in this verse, it's just merely translated as kindness. And the deeper we get into the intention behind this word, the more we realize the significance of what is happening in this verse in the, in the larger context. Exhibiting hesed is not based on the worth of the person receiving chesed, but is based on the person giving it. 
Hesed is unconditional. Ruth is loyal and is a loyal and loving person and is dedicated to Naomi, even though Naomi is bitter and makes it very clear that Ruth being there is not necessarily a blessing to her. Ruth exhibits loyal love to Naomi, and it's not based on Naomi's worth, but it's based on Ruth's character. Now, this phrase in verse 20. This phrase, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, is very interesting grammatically. There's a lot of debate on who that who is referring to because some people will say, oh, it's pointing to Boaz's chesed, and some people will say, oh, it's pointing to the Lord's chesed. And there's, there, honestly, there's structural and theological argument for either or. I tend more towards it specifically talking about the Lord's chesed, but it's possible that there could be some purposeful ambiguity in here, which is very cool. And the reason for this is because Boaz, as we will see in the narrative and even in this moment, exhibits qualities that are also exhibited by the Lord. This loyal love is exhibited by both. Ruth, by every cultural standard, is not worthy to be cared for because she's a Moabite. Moabites, these people who who the Israelites have been at war with for for a long time, are enemies of Israel. Boaz is loyal to his family as he is called to be according to the Mosaic law. He cares for the widows of his dead relatives. And in the same way, the Lord shows chesed to Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is seen in these verses having hope for what might be around the corner and what God might might have in mind for her family, even though a chapter ago, she refused to be called Naomi and demanded to be called Mara. She says, call me bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She's like, the Lord, there is no hope. Naomi wants hope, but as far as she is concerned, she can't have it and never will. But when Ruth gets home and tells her that she's been in the field with Boaz, she experiences that hope. And as Dr. Lyons beautifully defined last week, if you haven't seen his message, go back. I think he did a fantastic job. He said, hope is a virtue rooted in nothing but the character of God. The practice of believing God's loyal love, his chesed, for our situation now and in the future. Loyal love is not conditional. It's just that. It's loyal. Regardless of circumstances, the Lord shows chesed to his people. Even when they choose to not show chesed in return, the chesed of the Lord remains Because that hesed is not dependent on on our worth or the people of Israel's worth. It is dependent on God's character. Naomi says that this man, Boaz, who is a close relative, is one of their redeemers. And depending on your translation, your text might also say closest relative or guardian or family redeemer or kinsman redeemer. And this phrase, kinsman redeemer is referring to a cultural practice within ancient Israel as laid out in Leviticus 25, Numbers 35, and Deuteronomy 25. It's a cultural practice of preserving the integrity, life, property, and family name of the closest relatives. And the kinsman redeemer was also responsible for bringing justice upon the murderers of close kinsmen, if that was the case. His responsibility is to redeem, to buy back, to purchase. In the context of Ruth, when a man died and left behind a wife, children, or land, it was the responsibility of the closest male relative to protect and preserve what had been left behind. If they were children, you would adopt them as their own. If there was land, you would take care of it. 
If there's a widow, you would bring them into your family and care for them the rest of their lives. In that culture, the family lineage was very important. So if a widow was childless, it was the Redeemer's responsibility to help produce offspring so that their late relative's family name would also continue. In the narrative of Ruth, Boaz is a possible kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi in that he is one of their closest relatives. He exhibits chesed to Ruth despite her ethnicity as a Moabite. Her, his, it gives hesed to Naomi. Naomi has hoped that Boaz would be the means to redeeming their family. In the same way, God is the kinsman redeemer for his people Israel, for they are his children. The Lord exhibits chesed to his people throughout the entirety of Scripture. We see that constantly. And that's what we see in Ruth that makes this book so wonderful. While the Lord doesn't have any dialogue in the narrative, and, the while, and while the Lord's presence is there, but it's, it's an implied presence, we see his faithful hesed in his provision for Ruth and Naomi through the presence of Boaz. The Lord has not forsaken the living or the dead, and we have seen the redeeming work of the Lord leading up and following the book of Ruth. We see it constantly throughout God's word. Verse 21 and 22. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. The nation of Israel is God's chosen people. That's true. But one of the most well-known character traits of the nation of Israel is not only their forgetfulness, but also their blatant disobedience. Almost every time we see God come through for them, they turn away from God again and seemingly forget what God has done. And we learn in actually chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Ruth, and Mark covered this already, that the context of Ruth it takes place in the days of the judges, when the judges ruled. And if, we, and if you read the book of Judges, which I absolutely think you should, we went through it in FSM, and it is awesome. It is a great book. If you go through Judges, you'll know that it is one of the best examples of the nation of Israel turning away from God. There's this cycle, turning away from God despite God going above and beyond for them over and over and over again. Not everyone in Israel is like Boaz. Boaz literally tells Ruth in chapter 2, verse 9, and Naomi remarks, like we just read in verse 22, that Ruth might be assaulted if she goes to another field in Bethlehem. These aren't fields of foreigners. These are fields of Israelites. These are their people. I'm sure many of them left their cor the, the corners of their fields untouched. I'm sure they did that. But we learn that this is just a box, oftentimes, that they check. They still might assault women gleaning in their fields. And when Jesus shows up over a thousand years later and says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, that we should love God and love others because on it depends all the law and the prophets, he's saying the entire Torah plus the prophets can be summarized as love the Lord with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love the Lord, you will love your neighbor. And if you are doing those together, you, are, you will end up doing the, all the law and the prophets. Jesus had to tell people that because they weren't, it had, Jesus had to tell people because they weren't doing it. He says, you have to love people because they weren't loving people. 
The law was not supposed to be just about box checking. It was supposed to be about life change. It was supposed to be a change on a heart level. Boaz goes well above checking a box. He recognizes that he's called to love God with all that he has, and so he desires to love his neighbor as himself, as laid out in Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5. He sees the hurting foreigner, a Moabite foreigner no less, someone it is very easy to despise in that culture, and treats her like one of his own family. He does what is loving and kind and good as designed and designated by God. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. After all that excitement, we're left with this, this kind of lackluster ending. It's like we're, we're on a roller coaster and we're, we're kind of climbing up the track in this little section. It's, oh my gosh, it's the kinsman redeemer. The Lord has blessed us. Boaz rocks. Oh my gosh, Ruth is staying close to the women. Okay, Boaz is hanging there all together. They're gleaning until the end of the barley harvest and the end of the wheat harvest. And then Ruth and Naomi are alone. And that's like, the, that's a big, do you feel it? It's just this big bummer at the end of this chapter. It feels, it, it feels like the roller coaster we're climbing and then it like stops at the top and you're like, there's supposed to be more. Like we're waiting for it. Like I, I see it. The story is setting this up and we're, we're ready. Boaz, he was almost like this long, like Boaz, come on, like do something, dude. Like let's go. It's this very blunt phrase that ends the chapter and we're left with a to be continued, but it's a very hopeful to be continued. So I want us to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Where do we find our hope and why should we find it there? Where do we find our hope and why should we find it there? And here's the answer. We find our hope in the Lord. I knew, I knew a lot of y'all knew that answer. Because his love for us is not determined by our worthiness, but by his character. That's why he chooses to redeem us. The reason we are redeemed is not because we earned it or are worthy of it. Our redemption is completely dependent on the character of God. For this narrative, we see Ruth's loyal love to Naomi despite her bitterness and lack of hope. Boaz's loyal love to Ruth despite her culture and God's loyal love to his people despite their sin. In the full narrative of scripture, God redeems his people and exhibits chesed as he keeps his promises despite our continual rebellion and disobedience to this day. We hope in the Lord because our worthiness is not a part of the equation. If it was, we wouldn't have hope in the first place. There would be no hope if it was based on our worth, our conditions, our ability to succeed. There wouldn't be any hope. His love isn't conditional, it's loyal. He keeps his promises, never abandons his people, and because of that, we call him Redeemer. Jesus paid for our lives with his. He has redeemed you from the bondage of sin because he is a God who exhibits hesed. I always want to say genuine hesed, but if you say hesed, it's genuine. Loyal love. I'm going to go ahead and welcome the band back up here. Um, 
In our sin, we are condemned to a life separate from God. But because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord looks at us and says, come eat at the table with me. Come have a meal with me. Like Ruth, we are welcome to a table to partake in a meal that we are so fortunate to experience. Under, the, uh, under y'all's chairs, we're going to have uh, the, the elements of the Lord's Supper, and y'all can reach under there and grab that. Uh, I'm glad that we get to come together at the Lord's table this morning. Um, all over the world, Christians have gathered to remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus took two elements of the Passover meal and gave full realization to what they mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Through the Lord's Supper, we both look back as we see a symbol of Christ as our Redeemer through his broken body and shed blood for us. And we remember what that sacrifice means. We're not supposed to do this just, okay, drink the blood. We're supposed to remember. We're supposed to remember the significance of what happened. We get to do this because he did it forever ago. And at the same time, we look forward to the second coming of Christ. Through the participation of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death And we look forward to the feast we get to participate in in the new heavens and the new earth. And as the band plays this last song, I want you to to take the elements on your own. But I don't, like I said, I I don't want us to be casual about this. This is an absolute privilege. It is a command. The Lord commands us to do it. And we gladly do it because it reminds us of what he did. We do this because Christ called us to do it, and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. Isn't that cool? That's cool. This little story of Ruth we get to see, we read it, and it's like, he's one of our kinsmen redeemer. And we get so excited, it's like, oh my gosh, this person, this man, God's gonna use this man through this culture to save this family. And the God man, 2,000 years ago, died to save us from ourselves, from our sin. I pray that you guys have, have, a heart and a mind that is focused in on what is happening when we do this and the importance of it. So on your own time, I would love for you guys and as a body together for us to participate in the Lord's Supper with us.